the uh, prophet Hosea lived around 750 BC, and he lived during a time when there was a popular king, there was a bullish economy, and peace was in the land. And so you might think, what could more uh, could could one ask for? And uh, Hosea's message to the people was that they were being unfaithful to God who had bestowed on them all those blessings and they were living in opposition to God's will and God's way. So how might we envision Hosea? The best way I think I could describe it is to envision with me a kind of Rodney Dangerfield in robe and sandals. A man who gets no respect, not from his wife, not from his family, not from the people. What you need to know is that Hosea's uh, wife abandoned him and went off to be a prostitute. And Hosea sees this kind of betrayal of his wife as a kind of parable slash metaphor of the people abandoning God. The people of Israel were breaking God's heart. And yet God did not abandon them. And friends, the good news is that God will not abandon us. God continues to call out to us to redeem us, to restore us, to bring us back into a right relationship with the one who has saved us. In fact, the very name Hosea means salvation. And so with that as an introduction, I would invite you to join me in our first scripture reading of the morning from the book of Hosea, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to me again, Go, love a woman who has a lover and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Now, I think that's a little harsh about raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of barley and a measure of wine. And I said to her, you must remain as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore. You shall not have intercourse with a man, nor I with you. A little dicey to say, but this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, throughout the uh, Old Testament, God is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, majestic, the Holy One of Israel, righteous. But in the book of Hosea, God shows us his heart. And God has tears streaming down his face. Hosea is about the reoccurring tale that plays out just about every day in life, the story of the jilted lover. And Hosea reads like just about every country and western music song you have ever heard of. How can I miss you if you won't go away? I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart. I would have wrote you a letter, but I couldn't spell yuck. <laughs> or my favorite, my wife just ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. <laughs> You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille, with four hungry kids and a crop in the field. I've seen some sad times, and I've seen some bad times, but this time the hurting won't heal. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. It's all about crying, lying, sighing, and dying. Well, let's take a look at the third of the 12 minor prophets that we're working our way through this summer as we look at 
God's word in Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, we pray that the words of this preacher's mouth and the meditation of each and every heart here in this room would be acceptable. In your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. To the glory of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, can you imagine that the God of the universe incarnates himself into a steamy, tawdry tale of undeserved love? This story in Hosea has got to be the divinely inspired word of God because no Hollywood scriptwriter could ever come up with something as outrageous as this. Because as our story opens today, there's a scandal going on in the church. Rumors are ricocheting all over the place. Pastor Hosea has gone downtown and gotten himself a streetwalker for a wife. But more scandalous than that is that God said, Hosea, your marriage is a living object lesson of the people of Israel's unfaithfulness to me. As I said in introducing the first scripture, in 750 BC, the people were experiencing unprecedented prosperity under the reign of King Jeroboam II. The corn was growing, the grapes were swelling, the plums were as sweet as ever. Now, the people believed that Baal, the fertility god, was the reason for all this prosperity and all this growth. But God said this in Hosea chapter 2, verse 8. Israel has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil. I was the one who lavished on her silver and gold, which they then used for Baal. Well, Baal worship went even further than that. Beyond this uh, plentiful harvest was the, the power that numerical growth can bring for the people. And from the beginning, the people heard over and over again. It was reverberating in their ears. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. But they took what God gave as a gift, and then they twisted it all around by engaging in sexual immorality as a form of worship. And God said, Hosea... The unfaithfulness of your wife mirrors the unfaithfulness of these people to me. Now, if there was ever an unlikely couple, Hosea and his wife, Gomer, were definitely it. The late Christian author and pastor, Frederick Beekner describes Hosea's wife, Gomer, this way. She was a little heavy with the lipstick, a little less than choosy about men and booze, a little loud, but great at a party, and always good for a laugh. Then the prophet Hosea came along wearing a sandwich board that said, the end is at hand on one side, and watch out on the other. The first time he asked her to marry him, she thought he was kidding. The second time, she knew he was serious, but thought he was crazy. 
The third time, she said yes. So Hosea brings this woman home and turns around and into this respected wife and the mother of his children. Now, you might think that Gomer would count her blessings and spend the rest of her life living happily ever after with Hosea and the rest of the family. That is not what happens. In fact, they end up naming one of their children Lo-Ami, which means none of mine, because that child was not Hosea's biological child. And even Hosea's own children beg Gomer, their mother, to stay at home, to, to, to give up the late-night party scene. But one day, Gomer leaves, and this time, she doesn't come back. And suddenly, Hosea understands how God felt. Because the dagger, that dagger in Hosea's heart over his wife leaving him, is just this pinprick compared to the incredible pain that God felt in his heart over the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. You know, sometimes we think of sin in terms of breaking the rules, like when there's a no diving sign at the pool, or like somehow we're violating a code of conduct. What Hosea is saying is that sin is a personal betrayal. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that we are damaging a relationship with the very one who loves us more than life itself. It's not just a rule we're breaking. This is a relationship I'm harming. This is a friend who I'm hurting deeply. And Hosea is saying, you have no idea what sin does to God until you ask yourself, how would I feel if my spouse cheated on me? Now, I say that rather delicately. I say that very empathetically. Because while I know just about everyone here, I don't know all of your situations in life. And some of you in this room may not have to imagine that. And maybe you played the role of Hosea to your own Gomer. And maybe the marriage survived. Or maybe it didn't. But either way, you want, went on this emotional roller coaster to you know where and back. It's very easy to understand why psychologists say the most dangerous person in the world, the person most likely to commit murder, is the jilted lover because it just hurts that bad. And Hosea says that is what our sin does to God. Billy Graham uh, told the story of parents who uh, dropped their daughter off at college for the very first time. There were the final hugs and kisses, a wave goodbye, and then their daughter was off to freshman orientation. It wasn't too long after that that those parents got a phone call, and their daughter told them that she had dropped out of college. She had moved in with a 26-year-old, twice-married man with two kids and no job, and she said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to marry him. And the parents were so, so disappointed. I mean, this was, this was the toddler they used to hold and bathe at night. This was the young lady who organized Bible studies in, in the high school. And, and I heard the story, my first thought, oh, those poor parents. My second thought was that poor kid. But then, what about poor God? How do you think God feels about this? And so you see, that is why I think the book of Hosea is here in the Bible. It's here to speak to us about the brokenheartedness of God. And so you might imagine with me, Hosea, this single parent driving his kids to school, 
teaching them how to use the microwave, helping them with their homework, tucking them into bed every night, always finishing with a prayer that says, and God bless mommy wherever she is. Meanwhile, Gomer is working her special talent in a seedy hotel room in the roughest part of town. She has lovers, but she's not loved. She works for money, but she's the one being exploited. After a while, as you might imagine, that lifestyle begins to take its toll on Gomer. She's not what she used to be. Her body begins to betray her. Her beauty fades, her price is too high, and she's no longer attractive to men who are looking to have a good time. And so her employer decides to sell her into slavery. One day, someone runs up to Hosea's house, knocks on the door and says, hey, Hosea, your wife is being held in the slave pen downtown. She's about to be put up on the auction block. And I wonder if neighbors came from outside and said, well, good, finally, she's getting what she deserves. Or someone else saying, well, what goes around comes around. But you know, Hosea's love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he runs out of the house, and he goes down to the ATM, and he withdraws everything from his bank account. But guess what? That's still not enough. And so he goes and he rummages through the kitchen pantry and he grabs a big sack of barley and he hoists it over his shoulder. Now, at this point, even Hosea's own children begin to question why their dad is doing all this stuff. And they say, Daddy, Daddy, we're doing fine without her. Daddy, we don't need her here. Daddy, we don't want her around. Yes, that's true. God doesn't need us. In fact, God was doing just fine without us but he loves us and he wants us back home with him. And so there goes Hosea bent under the weight of a sack of barley on his way to redeem his sinful wife. Fast forward with me to the New Testament and now see Hosea's God in Jesus Christ bent under the weight of the cross as he walks through the streets of Jerusalem on his way to redeem a broken and lost humanity. Meanwhile, down at the market, the slave owners are haggling over the price of the shivering flesh standing there on the auction block. How much will you give me for a broken down prostitute who ain't what she used to be? The bidding is going absolutely nowhere. No one shows even an inkling of interest. The auctioneer is about to bring down the gavel and move on to the next item when a voice from the back of the room shouts, 15 pieces of silver and 14 bushels of barley. The people gasp. They can't believe it. That's more than five times the original bid. They turn around and standing there is the woman's husband with a grin from ear to ear like a man who's just won the lottery. His wife is now his, and he's taking her home. He loved her against all odds. He was faithful to her even when she was unfaithful to him, and he redeemed her from the consequences of her sin. Friends, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you and me in the same way. In fact, Jesus Christ loves the church like a bridegroom loves his bride. 
The Apostle Paul says so beautifully in Ephesians, we have been cleansed from every spot, wrinkle, and blemish by the blood of Christ, and we are presented to him without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, but with great splendor. When we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, what we're really saying is I believe in Hosea's God who has cleansed me from every blemish and stain. So think about that for a moment, sports fans. God loves us beyond words. You see, we are not perfect people. We're purchased people. Jesus Christ thought we were to die for. The movie uh, Forrest Gump had nothing to do with marriage, nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with the church, but everything to do with unconditional love. And that is why it is still so popular today and continues to move our hearts. You know the story. Forrest Gump, played by Tom Hanks, uh, is a young boy. He has braces on his legs from polio, and he's constantly having to run away from school bullies. Later on, he goes to Vietnam, where he, he risks his life for his friends. He comes back from Vietnam, and he starts a shrimping business down on the bayou because he told his friend Bubba that is what he was going to do. And people all throughout the movie are trying to steer him in different directions. But he says, no, a promise is a promise. He loved unconditionally a woman who rejected him for 20 years, named Jenny. And Jenny went through all the destructive fads of the 1960s and 1970s, and finally only accepts him after she discovers that she is sick and dying of AIDS. And in this scene, which is right at the end of the movie that we're going to see, we, we catch a glimpse of Forrest Gump's character and heart. We'll dim the lights. We'll have you take a look. Hey. Hi. Hey, Forrest. You scared in Vietnam? Yes. Why? I don't know. Sometimes it would stop raining long enough for the stars to come out. And then it was nice. It was like just before the sun goes to bed down on the bayou. Those old million sparkles on the water like that mountain lake that was so clear, Jenny. It looked like there were two skies, one on top of the other. And then in the desert, when the sun comes up, I couldn't tell where heaven stopped and the earth began. It was so beautiful. I wish I could have been there with you. You were. I love you. You died on a Saturday morning. 
I had you placed here under a tree. And I had that house of your father bulldozed to the ground. Mama always said dying was a part of life. I sure wish it was. Live forth is doing just fine. But About to start school again soon. I make his breakfast, lunch, and yes. dinner every day. I make sure he combs his hair, brushes his teeth every day. Teaching him how to play ping pong. Okay. He's really uh, good. Force you go. We fish a lot. And every night we read a book. She's so smart, Jenny. You'd be so proud of him. I am. Here, wrote you a, a letter. And he says, I can't read it. I'm not supposed to, so I just leave it here for you. Forrest Gump melts our hearts with his tender care and his unwavering love. You know, there might have been times in your life, friends, when you were like Jenny and did all the bad things that Jenny did in her life. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to stay Jenny. It certainly doesn't mean that you're not beloved of God. Because there is one who has come for you, who cared for you, who has chosen you, and who has brought you home. Indeed, we are the bride of Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we uh, thank you for this uh, story of Hosea that's uh, pressed within the pages of your holy word. We thank you that you care for us and that you love us unconditionally at the deepest and most intimate level of our lives. We thank you for your divine love that reaches down into the very depths of our being and heals even our deepest hurts and wounds. That even when we go off and run amok and wreck our lives, you are with us still with a love that knows no bounds. And now, God, we pray that you would protect our hearts, that you would strengthen our faith as you link us to yourself and to one another as the bride of Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.